If you are new with us, uh, we want you to know that we believe nobody's too far from God to be a part of our community. Uh, we believe the church today should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So wherever you're at spiritually, thanks for coming. And I've done this long enough. I know the drill. Like some of you are already thinking about like dinner afterwards, or if you're like a Christmas Eve, begin the presence ceremony part, or if you're waiting for tomorrow morning when Santa comes and all the great stuff that's about to occur. You know, I, I just want to encourage you. I used to be somebody who would come to a service like this and just be drug, be drug here to, to sit through and endure what's about to occur. So if that was you here today, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us. I don't take that lightly. You know, my story was uh, two decades ago, I was just a normal fraternity guy who was pretty far from God. And in fact, I mean, I saw Wes Thorne at Wes right there. So Wes and I, I played Wes in basketball in high school, and we went to the same college. He didn't know me then, but I was pretty far from God, and I was thinking about how much my life had changed over the last two decades. And Wes, I don't know why I called you out, man, but just thinking about how much life changes, right? In two decades of my life, I went from somebody who was throwing the fraternity parties who was very far from God to doing what I do now. And so if I could just encourage you, uh, some of those choices I've made were some of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. And I'm amazed at what uh, God can do. And so we have no expectation for you. Thank you for joining us. We're just going to talk about the God that we worship. If you're new to Christianity, we're going to look at some of the passages of the Bible that talk about the birth of Jesus. Christmas is remembering that Jesus actually entered into the world, was born. And because of his work on the cross, we can be redeemed, yes, but there is hope for anyone no matter where you're at today and how far and how broken that you are. And I want to talk just a little bit about that. Our church is kind of an infancy story in some ways, too. We, we were started uh, just over eight years ago. In fact, I, I look at this not just what's happened the last two decades in my life, but in the last eight years of our church, we have 11 Christmas Eve services going on. Eight and a half years ago, we were meeting in my living room. I mean, put that into perspective for a moment. And I just want to encourage you, you know, I'm, I'm not like a big church guy. Like, I, I grew up in a really small town. I didn't think the church would grow like this. And I just want to tell you what has happened is because God is real. He's living and active, and he's among us. And I want to share that with you. I believe that's a, it's brought a lot of hope to my life, and I hope it does to yours as well. In fact, I think if you walk out of here, maybe a little bit of a mistake with the technology. It's kind of illustrating one of my points today that, you know, sometimes we can come to this and it can feel like such a polished show that we miss out on what's actually occurring, that God is with us. See, the Christmas story, it tells us that we should call Jesus Emmanuel, which just means, that literally means God with us. That he is with us because of Jesus and his work on the cross that anybody can draw near to him. I'm going to talk a little bit about that because I think, you know, sometimes we can miss it. In fact, I was thinking about that tech flub. I actually planned to talk about this. When we first started eight and a half years ago, we met in a school here, Clay Middle School in Carmel. Anybody grow up going to Clay Middle School here? We used to, no one. Okay, one for two people, great. Uh, we used to meet in the auditorium there. And, uh, you know, when we first started, most of the people were totally new to participating in the life of a church. And a lot of the people would stay out very late on Saturday nights doing things. And, uh, one of them, we had this awesome sound guy, and he stayed out uh, pretty late one night till about four in the morning. He came in kind of tired, and at the end of my sermon, I got done preaching, and it was supposed the band came up, and it was their cue to start playing. They started playing, and no sound came out of the microphones. <laughs> Nothing was coming out of the guitar. You could just barely hear the strings. 
And I'm like, man, some, the sound system broke. So I went running, sprinting back in the auditorium there, and I found our awesome sound guy completely passed out, <laughs> sound asleep, face down on the soundboard because my sermon was that riveting. That's, it, was, it was an amazing moment. And I realized, man, we had that happen, but we didn't have anybody. Our sound guys aren't falling asleep this afternoon, so thank you, Matt. Good job back there. Um, and that guy was an awesome part of our team, but it, it made me realize, man, it's easy to miss our cues in life sometimes. And I find that for some of us, I believe that you were created by God on purpose for a purpose and that he has a purpose and plan for your life. And as long as we run from him, he will pursue us and pursue us and pursue us and never give up. And I share that with you because uh, maybe you're like me. Maybe you ran away from that for a long time and, and maybe you've missed it. Maybe for some of you, this Christmas, you have been a Christian like me who, in the busyness of preparing for gifts and the festivities and the meals and all the desserts that you're about to partake in, you miss out on that God is with you where you're at. Let's talk a little bit about that to the Christians here today. Either way, thank you for joining me. Will you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2? Are you ready to study God's Word together, church? Yes. Yeah, come on now, the two people. Yes, come on. Luke chapter 2, we're going to read the first uh, seven verses. You're familiar with them if you've ever been to a service like this in your life. You have heard at least somewhat of the Christmas story. It goes like this in the Gospel of Luke. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Uh, let me give you a little background here. Uh, you don't have to be like a Western Civ uh, major to understand this. Uh, the Romans were in charge as far as Western civilization culture was going on at the time. And they had taken over Israel, which had been taken over by the Greeks before that and the Persians before that and the Babylonians before that. And they hadn't had their land and the temple at one point had been destroyed and then rebuilt. And they want to take a census of the Israelites and the entire Roman world to understand as they have conquered these different lands, who's all there. And there was the province of Judea that we're going to be looking at where the birth of Jesus occurs. And it says this in verse uh, 2, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, the entire area that they were overseeing. And everyone went to their town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and lion of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because, read this, there was no guest room available for them. If you have your own Bible, or you can even highlight the one right there, underline or circle, there was no guest room available. You got your phone out, you want to highlight that on your Evernote or whatever you're taking notes on, I encourage you to do that, but it says that there was no room. And, and you know that story, you've heard it before, but have you ever actually thought about the innkeeper in this case? I, I don't know how you feel, I kind of feel, Darren and I were talking about this, that he kind of got a bad rap. In fact, if you look at the passage, we don't even know that there was an innkeeper, it doesn't say there was an innkeeper. It just says there was no room in the inn. We don't know if the inn was literally like the type of inn that they check in uh, an old uh, bed and breakfast, or if this was like an attachment to the family home that Joseph was returning to there in Bethlehem. We don't know for sure, but we know there was no room. 
And you've probably seen uh, movies or animations before where this angry, you know, innkeeper's like, yeah, we don't have any room for you. Get out of here. But he actually was just doing what everyone else in that entire town did. He didn't make room. And it's easy to point fingers. I think sometimes, uh, at least for me, I want to be reminded that the fingers sometimes need to be pointed back to me. The question I want to ask you that we're going to dive into during our short time together is, will you make room for God this Christmas? Or like so many of us, will we ignore his cries to us? Will you pray with me? God, uh, we just pause for a second in the busyness of this season, and uh, we acknowledge your presence in the room with us right now. And I got to imagine, God, uh, that you have been speaking to people in this room long before we ever stepped into this place. And I pray, God, if there is any callousness, that that would be shed by the end of our time together. Because I've been there. I pray, God, that we would be vulnerable enough just to hear from you. God, may you make my words small, your words huge. We surrender this time to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Will you make room for them this Christmas? What would that look like in your life? To make room for at least the idea that God is trying to speak to you. Because I don't know about you, like there's this natural gift that I was given uh, when I became a dad. It's, it was one of those things, it's part of the adaptation of adulthood as a father that you just learn how to like tune your children out. Any dads out there? It has just come natural to you? Thank you. It's a spiritual gift, man. And I was gifted with that spiritually. In fact, uh, a lot of people don't know this. I'm actually deaf in my right ear. I can barely hear it in my left ear. So sometimes I'm not ignoring them and I don't hear them, but most of the time I'm just ignoring them. You learn how to tune them out because, like, the kids are always coming up. And, the, you know, we've got a soon-to-be 11-year-old, a 7-year-old, and we got a 4-year-old. And it's like, Dad, can I have a cookie? Dad, can I use the technology? Dad, can you find my pants? Dad, will you move the brush, a toothbrush in my mouth because I can't do it on my own? I just get to the point where I just go, come on, get it together. I can't do life for you. Any fathers out there agree? And so I just start tuning them out just a little bit. And inevitably, what I begin to realize, I'm tuning them out, and I'm actually missing out on things my kids are trying to share with me. Now, before uh, I feel too guilty, the truth is my kids do it to me. I have this great advice. Like, if my son would listen to me, he would be the greatest sports figure the world has ever seen. Right, dads? We, just, we have great advice. Moms? You know the right answers to things. I love to give that advice to them, and they just tune it out. And it seems like the older they get, the more they can figure out how to tune it out. And usually it's because they're distracted, because they're playing something on a phone, or they're watching something on television, or they're wanting to do something else. Isn't it interesting how even a child or an adult or the grandparents or the great-grandparents in the room, we can all figure out how to tune stuff out when we want to. When we get distracted enough that there's something we feel is really important to us that we can't really take in anything else. I don't know about you, sometimes that happens to me when God is trying to break through in my life. I tune him out a little bit. And I think, man, we can like point fingers at the innkeeper, but nobody really made room uh, for the, the savior of the world to be born. And look, why would we act like it would be any different today? We're always missing out on God because we're tuning him out to these distractions that we busy our lives with. 
And so here's what I want to do. It's really simple together tonight. I want to give you how to not miss out on God in your life. What would it look like for you to not miss out on God? And the first point I, I would encourage you to do is to try listening. Number one, listen. If you want to not miss out on God in your life, you got to listen. Let's read those verses again in verses 6 and 7. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So the Messiah, which just means anointed one, that's the Hebrew Aramaic word. The Greek word was Christ. Messiah and Christ, they mean the same thing. It's the anointed one, the one that the Jewish people had been waiting on for generations and generations. He's about to be born, and there's going to be all these significant things that occur that point to his birth. But when he gets to, they get to the, the guest room, this teenage couple who just found out that they were impregnated by the Holy Spirit had had to travel on a donkey, this probably 12 or 13-year-old pregnant girl with her maybe 17, 18, 19-year-old uh, soon-to-be husband. They're made to ride some rough terrain through the mountains up to Bethlehem from Nazareth on a donkey while pregnant. They finally get there, and they're going to give birth to the Savior of the world, and God in all his provision rolls out the Ritz-Carlton five-star resort. And instead, uh, they get that there's no room, not even in this little uh, inn that's provided for them. So they're made to stay out back. Most likely, it says there, uh, you know, that they are asked to stay in what we would refer to as a stable or a barn, but most likely it was a cave. Scholars believe it's probably just like a cave that the animals lived in. And that's where the Savior of the world would be born. And he's born there because when they show up to town, nobody takes time to notice, oh, this, this girl's pregnant. Maybe we should make a little space for her. And I want you to think about this just for a second when they, they don't make room for her. It's easy to like give just, you know, the innkeeper, he's the problem, but think of how many people had to actually ignore this and not listen, to tune it out. Did, anybody ever been in a room when a, a baby is being born? Is, is the mom quiet during that time? You know, I don't know why, you know, there's something like uh, young husbands, the first time you go through it, you're just naive to the whole thing. And I thought, man, I'm going to go into this. I'm about to play a major role. <laughs> and that first time you get done, you're like, man, that was really hard on me. It was really hard on me. And then you realize your, your wife does all of the work. She's been doing all the work for nine months and you haven't even recognized it. And that night when it gives birth, there, there is no quiet times. It's, it's hard and it's loud and then the baby is born. How does somebody miss a teenage uh, child, woman, in a barn, in a cave, right next to town, giving birth and no one notices? It wasn't just an innkeeper that didn't listen. What about this? Did, for those who have young children at home, when they cry at night, does it wake you up? Do you know how loud the cries of a child are? The children, like infants, when the lungs develop enough, they could cry at 120 decibels. You didn't seem impressed by that. Do you know how loud 120 decibels is? That's as loud as a fire engine. That's louder than most rock concerts. Some of you who complain about the sounds here, that's like 30 decibels louder than here. 
And no one notices the fire engine baby crying in the echo chamber back behind the inn. Because they didn't want to listen. Man, I'm telling you, when, when I first was looking at becoming a Christian, I really wasn't looking at becoming a Christian. Like, I just kept having these opportunities where God was speaking to me in my life, and I didn't want to listen to it. If you want to learn how to not miss out on God in your life, number one, you have to listen. And, and I want to ask you this question. Has Jesus been making noise in your life recently? He's been making noise in your life recently. See, the New Testament talks about that God is trying to communicate with us. I love Romans 10, 17. It says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ, that we have to listen and hear it. See, we believe that the good news of Christianity is this, that when Jesus was born into the world, he was literally God incarnate, that he had waited for generations upon generations. There's a beautiful passage in Matthew chapter 1 where it demonstrates it was 14 generations and then 14 generations and then 14 generations so that you could see God's great plan. We've been studying that together as a church the last couple of weeks, that for a thousand or more years, he had been waiting for that moment in time. In fact, historically, it was significant because the Romans were the first to develop roads so that the good news of Jesus' birth could be spread rapidly all over the Roman Empire because God wanted everybody to hear this good news. But he wasn't just born. He lived 30 years and then three years of active ministry, and he finally is, gives up his life as a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice, so that anybody in here who's not perfect, which is everyone, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody in here is perfect. No human is perfect. The Bible teaches us that Jesus was crucified so that we could be forgiven for any mistake we've ever done. So that no matter how broken and lost you are, that you could know a perfect God. You could be in his presence. He wasn't just crucified, though. We know he rose on the third day, overcoming death itself, that we believe as Christians that because of the work of Jesus, that we could actually live eternally with God. Did you hear that? Like, like, this isn't just hearsay or like a philosophy class. Like, we really believe that we can live eternally with God. And that's not it, because sometimes we stop there and think that's the good news, but we forget the whole Christmas story. What, what's the best part of it? It doesn't just start when you die. We believe that he's Emmanuel, God with us, that he is with us today, that you're never alone. If you're having a hard Christmas, somebody's not going to be around the Christmas tree this year that had been in previous years that you know that you're never alone, that God is with you and whatever it is that you're facing. But we got to listen. we got to hear that message. Isaiah 28, 23 says it this way, listen and hear my voice. Pay attention and hear what I say. God says, if you listen, I'm actually here for you. And I know sometimes that's hard. Look, committed Christians of 50 plus years have difficulty discerning the voice of the Lord sometimes. So don't freak out if you don't have it all down. In fact, there are times in my life where I have been waiting for years to hear about something in particular. It happens. But number one, if we're not listening, we're never going to hear from him. What would that look like to begin to listen? I just had this uh, happen to me. For those who are Christians, uh, I was at Walmart uh, doing some last-minute shopping, preparing for the big day, and I, I was standing in line, very long line in Walmart. I don't know if you knew that around Christmas time. And dude, I'm standing there, and it's just like, it's taking forever, and I am not a naturally patient person. Any impatient people out there? So I'm getting frustrated. I get to the front of the line, 
I'm finally waiting, and the, the, the young woman who's up there, she was so sweet, and she keeps like moving and doing stuff with her legs, and I was like, what is going on? And then she said, I have a sciatic nerve problem in my leg, and it just, it really hurts. And so I laid hands, and I prayed for healing right there in the store. I didn't do that. Yeah, she really thought I was going to do that, but... I literally, in my head, this is, don't judge me, okay? Here's what I thought. I thought, suck it up. It's Christmas. We're trying to get out of here. And literally, like this human part of me, like that's just how I'm wired. People get around me. That's, I, I do it to myself. I do it there. I just like, just suck it up. So I'm standing there, and then it hit me like, wow. I am, that whole Emmanuel thing is important to me. Because God's with me right there in the checkout, right? And I had to, like, get a little attitude check and go for a, acknowledge for a second, okay, God, like, this, this girl's in pain. I should, I, and so, you know, I just, I got to smile and just love on her in an appropriate way right there. And it was, you know, just seeing God work in my life in that way was a testament to, to him, not to me, because my human nature is pretty far from him. Number one, you got to listen Some of us who, uh, maybe you're here and you have been considering the truths of Christianity, you're not sure where you align up spiritually, you're an atheist or agnostic person, we started this church for you, man. I'm telling you, we're full of people like that. It's been amazing what what God does when we begin to open ourselves up to things, but it takes beginning to listen. And then number two, it takes us not just listening, but actually responding. Responding. What would it look like for you to respond what he might be trying to share to you. I I love the story doesn't just stop in Luke 2 in those first seven verses. We usually read that part, but it goes on and it talks about the shepherds next. I I love this passage, and I'm going to kind of skip through parts of it. It says in verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Let me read that again, because some of us choose to read this passage like this, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the good Christian people. It was good news of great joy for all the people. Now, no matter where you line up theologically, We believe that there is a choice that you have to make. You have to respond to what it is that God has done, his good news for us, his life, death, and resurrection, the whole deal. But his his choice to give his life for us, to be born in the world, it was for everybody. Not everyone will choose, but it is for everybody. And I love this passage because, see, he didn't just present himself there to Mary and Joseph there, and he didn't just ignore their cries. He goes and sends an angel, a messenger, to the shepherds. And that might not seem significant. We don't really live in agrarian society much anymore in the United States. Like, the shepherds were the social outcasts. They slept with the, they literally slept in the fields with the animals. They did not bathe regularly. They were the social outcasts of society. And God chose to send an angel to them to declare his birth. And they have to decide what to do. In fact, if you look ahead in uh, verse 15 here, it says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, 
which the Lord has told us about. They didn't just go, oh man, did you see that? That was insane, dude, that was insane. We can't talk about this. Hey, sorry, George, you're way early, man. (laughs) You may be sitting there a while, so uh, yeah. Uh, In fact, I'm going to just help you out, man, because I got like 20 minutes left. Can we have George uh, just give him a round of applause as he steps off for just a second? Thanks, dude. <laughs> this, is, this is point two. I've got seven more points left. You, gotta, you can just be in prayer back there. I know that's what's going on, I'm sure. So in this passage, it says that they, uh, Mary is going to actually respond here in a moment. But the, the shepherds who were living out in the, in the fields, they have to respond. They get up and they go there to the birth. They go to Bethlehem. They didn't say, oh, man, that was cool. But if we go there, like we're just, you know, we, we are the outcasts. People aren't going to care about us. They actually listened and responded. And I find too often, man, like we don't respond when God is speaking to us. I know for myself, I was a lot like more like Jonah in the Old Testament that ran away from God for much of my life. And yet he kept pursuing and pursuing. It takes us actually taking a moment to respond. And sometimes that simple act of responding is the simplest part, but it's the hardest part. Right? To respond to what God is doing in our life usually requires some life change that occurs with it. Respond means you're standing in the checkout line at Walmart and you're feeling one way and you have to go, okay, Lord, you're telling me to respond a different way. Responding means for some of us that we have lived apart from God much of our life and we have associated certain things with him that we have to be open to, man, if this is real, it should change my life. I mentioned all the life changes happened for me in two decades. I never thought I would be someone who would be preaching and, and be leading a, a church like this today. That wasn't, it was never in my wildest dreams. It was more of my nightmares that I would ever be something like that. And God changes things. He changes. He's, he's real. He's living. He's active. We have to listen, and then we have to choose to actually respond. But it's not just whether we respond or not. It's how we respond. How we respond. Think, think about Mary and Joseph for a second. So the, the shepherds, they actually responded, right? Like they, they listened to God and they showed up and they worshiped like they were supposed to. But Mary and Joseph, this teenage couple, she's 12, 13 years old. They're told they're impregnated with the Holy Spirit. They could get angry. They could have responded very differently. Joseph decides to honor the Lord and stay with Mary as, as God has told him to. They're nine months pregnant. They're, they're made to ride on a donkey all the way up rough terrain to Bethlehem. And they get there. There's no room in the inn. And that's when you turn and you get angry at God. And instead, they responded with this humility and faithfulness that even if we have to be in this cave tonight, God is going to provide for us. See, it's not just whether we respond or not. It's how we respond. Sometimes when God is speaking to us, I'm telling you, there is this part of me that wants to put up a barrier this callousness that just wants to keep him out. It's not just whether we respond, it's how we respond to the good news of Christ that matters. Look, look at these verses here in verses uh, 19 to 20. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They didn't just respond by showing up. How they responded was by glorifying and praising God the same way that Mary and Joseph had chosen to respond. 
Many of us in this room have heard the good news of Jesus before. How have you responded? How have you responded? I know how I've responded. I want to tell you, the problem is that too many people think that God is against them. I'm here to tell you tonight, the good news of Christmas is that God is for you. That he chose to enter into the world as good news, not bad news, not for the good people, but for all people. I don't know where this happens. We got a lot of former Catholics in our church, which I, I love. I love all forms of people who love Jesus. In fact, one of the things that um, I've noticed over the years, we can often, it's not just Catholics, it's all of us, we can associate guilt a lot with our faith. I want to tell you that God doesn't want you to sit in guilt and shame for your entire life. He has good news for you. It's for all the people. And that if you surrender that aspect to him, he could actually redeem you. Some of us here tonight, we have gone through hard times. We've gone through a divorce and we just think, man, I'm always going to be the person that didn't get everything right in my life. I want to tell you that is not God speaking that into your mind. His good news is for all the people. It was for the shepherds. It was for the teenage couple. It was for the wise men who were seeking intellectual questions. His good news is for all the people. But it takes us listening and responding and then doing the, the third and final thing that I'll say here in just a moment. And I love Lydia, this woman in the New Testament. It shows us how to respond to things. There's a story in Acts chapter 16. Lydia was this like wealthy business person in town. Uh, she was in the city of Philippi which was, uh, used to be Greek and had become Roman. And in that town, she produced this purple dye. It was very expensive to produce. She was a wealthy merchant in town. And Paul comes to town and tells her the good news. And she listens and then she responds. And because of that, it changes her life. R read this with me. It says, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. She responded to the message. She heard it and realized that was not just for somebody, that was for her. And look what she does. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. She invited them to her home. See, I find that sometimes what we miss out on, that we can listen to God and we're debating of how to respond to it, but when you really respond to him, you invite him into your home. Some of us this Christmas need to make some room for God in our home. Lydia will start a church there in her, in her home and it will become one of the most healthy churches in the entire New Testament. The good news will ring out there in Philippi of what God has done. All because this one person who used to be this wealthy person that was kind of doing things her own way, God steps in through the person of Jesus. The message that comes from Paul, it transforms her and she goes on to transform the city of Philippi. I say it all the time, I believe that there may be sleeping giants of the faith right here in this room, that we have done this to God for much of our life, but if we responded like this, he has so much more for us. She would have missed out on every good thing God had for her. No one would know her name today. No one would remember anything she had done. They wouldn't be talking about, man, that purple cloth business was awesome. But they'll tell the stories of how Lydia transformed the course of human history. 
because she listened and responded to the good news that Jesus had for her life. Number three, if you're taking notes, you got to make room. You got to make room for God. Invite him into your house. Invite him into your home. Do we make room for God in your home, in your marriage right now, in the way that you raise your children? Do you make room at your workplace for what God has for you? Do you make room in your uh, Saturday nights for what God has for you? What's it look like to make room for God in your life? See, when I began to get this, it changed everything for me. And I've seen it change so many other people's lives. I'll read that that verse again that we actually started with Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave him... uh, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. They didn't make room. They missed out on the Savior of the world being born in their inn. Could you imagine the business proposal that could have come from that? Stay in the room where the Savior of the world was born, right? You, think of what you could have, the stories you would have had if you just would have listened to that night to the fire engine baby happening back in the cave, back behind the inn. But too many of us, we can't make time to listen, to respond, and to invite into our home because we're afraid that it might do something or change something in our lives. I want to tell you that no matter how much I do this to God, he never gave up on me and he will never give up on you. He will pursue you and pursue you and pursue you. In fact, I love this passage in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. It says, here I am. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat. Did you catch that? I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. See, in that society, in that culture, you don't eat with the unclean. You don't hang out with them. He says that he's going to come in, sit down, have a meal with you. Because you are not unclean in his book. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9, if you confess Jesus is Lord of your life, you have salvation. You don't have to question it. You don't have to sit up at night going, what in the world is going to happen to me when I die? You know without a shadow of a doubt the God of the universe came into the world as a vulnerable baby because he loved you. And I just want to close with this. One of the stories I tell every Christmas a number of years ago, about 15 years ago, I was in London, England at a place called Speaker's Corner. Anybody ever heard of that? It's a place where anybody gets up in London and they just go off on any political or theological or philosophical viewpoint. And the best speakers that day were these two young Muslim men. They were great communicators. I liked them. They were kind of funny. And one of them was talking about why he couldn't believe in Jesus. And he said, "I, I couldn't believe in him because I couldn't believe that the God of the universe that created everything became a little baby boy who dirtied his diapers and couldn't take care of himself. And it hit me that that was exactly why I had devoted my entire life to following him. Because the God of the universe that had the power and the authority to create everything in six days and take the seventh day off, that he loved you and me enough that he became a little vulnerable child. Emmanuel, God with us, the most approachable thing in the world. 
and that it was good news for not just the people who did the right things and said the right things and acted the right way and prayed the right prayers, but it was good news for all the people who believed and received his grace and forgiveness. And he has come into the world so that you and I could know him, live eternally with him, and experience his work in our life right now. And if you forget everything else this Christmas season, I want you to remember that no matter what we do in our life, he is there with you. He created you on purpose for a purpose. He has a plan for your life. And I don't care if you've done this to him for most of your life. If you do this to him, he will come in and eat with you because you are not unclean in his eyes. You're of his loving creation and he has a plan for you. And I'm telling you, it's the greatest plan for your life. And we're going to tell stories about Lydia in heaven. We're going to tell stories about my friend David Rothenberg, right back there in heaven, who gave his life to Christ and got baptized over here. We're going to tell stories about Mark Talamantis that's over at our other building. And some of you have never been to this church. You don't know the people I'm describing. There are stories in heaven that are going to be told about people who actually listened and responded and made room for God in their life. And I find that in our culture, we spend a majority of our time thinking about how I can acquire enough in my personal empire that I can have in a nice last 10 or 20 or 30 plus years. And I want to tell you, you are worth so much more than that. God's got all eternity planned for you. He loves you right where you're at. And if you have heard otherwise from anyone else, they are dead wrong. God loves you. He will not give up on you. He came into this world to be with you. He wants to be there when you have lost hope. He is the hope in Christ that we live for and we respond to. I want to give you the opportunity to respond to his love for you right now. God, we pray with me? God, we just love you. We thank you, God, this Christmas season that we could even discuss these things publicly. And I pray right now for the Christians in the room who maybe need to invite you in, that they've been in the busyness of the season. They haven't actually acknowledged that you're with them. They haven't made room and responded to what you're trying to do today, not just 10 years ago in their life. If that's you in the room, respond to him tonight. And then finally, I got to imagine in this room, there are some people that God has been speaking to you, whether you have been a Christian for a while, but you've never really fully surrendered your life to Christ, or whether you are brand new to Christianity, you don't even know how to begin. I want to give you the opportunity to respond to the hope that we have in Christ, that you can live eternally in heaven with him. You can receive his forgiveness because of his work on the cross. It doesn't matter the drugs that you have done, the alcohol that you've taken into your body. It doesn't matter the party that you've been doing, the lustful things you've been doing. He loves you right where you are, and he invites you home. He welcomes you with open arms arms. The prodigal son came roaming home and his father wrapped his arms around him. And some of you need to receive that embrace tonight and to surrender your life fully to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If that's you in the room, I'm going to invite you to pray with me in just a moment, but I'm not going to make it easy on you. I'm going to invite you on the count of three to raise your hand and say, I want to give my life fully to Jesus. Whether it's to recommit your life to Christ or for the very first time. On the count of three, one, Jesus loves you. Two, he's not done with you. Three, he invites you to make full room for him in your life. If that's you in the room, raise your hand nice and high real quick. I see the three, the four of you guys over here. Help me out. Oh, man, guys, over here, the, the five of you right there on the right side of the room. If there's anybody there, I, I, I just want you to raise it high so I can see it. The two of you in the back, I didn't see you. Thank you. I, I wanted you to make that public acknowledgement for me. Okay, you can go ahead and put those down for just a second. God, you have seen those hands, and it takes faith to actually do that action because I know we're sitting here with family and stuff, and it's like, I don't want to do anything that makes me feel awkward. But God, you're real. 
And this stuff matters, and we worship you this Christmas. And so if you raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with me and begin that life with him. Pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess I need you. I believe and receive your forgiveness. And on this Christmas, I commit my life to you fully, Lord Jesus. Use me. We thank you, God, for those who were honest enough to receive you and respond. We worship you this Christmas, and we pray this in your name. And all God's family said, amen.